you know the vibes welcome back to another episode of the hoop genius podcast something slightly different today usually we have our weekly guest on a monday but we've had to reschedule things because you know we've got a few things happening this weekend so we've got the honor of mr scott perry joining us on a thursday yes scott how are you doing sir I'm doing good. I, I'm not at the parking lot on Thursday. You know, I, oh, no, I have to I, say the parking lot till Monday. Oh, uh, <laughs> man, that's weekend work. You know what I'm saying? Get those shots up over the weekend, exactly. get a range ready for the Monday. And BJ Armstrong, as always, is here with us. BJ, how are you doing, sir? Fabulous. 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 Real name. No gimmicks. So let's get right into it, gentlemen. Let's get right to it. <laughs> right, we do, we're doing something new. We're going to answer some of your questions. As always, this show is brought to you by NBA 2K24. You can get your copy from the description below. A lot of you guys submitted your questions and a few of you wanted your questions answered by Scott. So I thought, let's draft him in for an early episode. The first one, real quick to get us going. If you are playing today, uh, this question is from StoneJ666. If you mm -hmm. were playing today, which current roster would you most like to be on? BJ, let's start with you. Oh, if I was playing today? Yes. Currently today, I, I would want to be on San Antonio, the Spurs. Because of Wemby. Yes. Yes. I, 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 that's the roster. That's the player. That's the potential. So that's where I would want to play today if it was right here right now ship me down to the alamo okay uh even though i don't play there anymore what about you scott i must be consistent i'm going with the miami heat love how they play how they've been you know they play this way ever since i've been in the league they're tough they play together they defend uh had the best coach in the nba in my opinion and it's not too bad when you can leave practice and it's 75, 80, 80 degrees outside as well, too. So <laughs> yeah. 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 I um I'm going with the Miami. I'm not I'm not mad at that. You're gonna be in the in the weight room all day long. I would play for the Lakers if I played in the NBA right now. Oh wow, okay. Because I'm way too out of shape to play 48 minutes in the NBA. So I would like to drag them down even further out of the playoff spots. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The, the second part of that question is if you could enter a two-on-two -two competition with any current NBA player as your partner, who would you pick? Scott? The, yeah, okay. <laughs> current players. Uh, you, the current players. For a two-on-two -two competition. Two-on-two -two competition? I'm going to have to go with my man Giannis in Milwaukee. Mm, solid. Because he, he's so versatile, uh, can defend. He can finish, you know, he's going to be able to score. He's going to be tough to guard on the on the offensive end. He can help us get the key stop when we need in that two and two. And he could use my help uh, with being able to shoot that deep mm -hmm. perimeter ball. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From the halfway line. So, so Giannis is off the board, BJ. Who are you picking? Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. Two-way uh, uh, player. I, I, Kawhi. Get it cooking you, in the mid-range. That's good for the Kawhi, two and twos. The, hey, hey, hey. And the, as the great Rakim would say, I ain't no joke. We not <laughs> laughing. <laughs> we not laughing. We bought that action. So Kawhi okay. would, be, would be my favorite. I like that okay. one. I like yeah. that one. Well, my answer is dependent on whether or not there's a referee. Um, refereeing these two-on-two -two games because uh, if there is I'm going with Joel Embiid because he'll shoot 21 free throws and I'll sit back and relax <laughs> while he does that um, if he doesn't um, who do I want to play with who do I want to play with you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with a, a little bit of an answer that's out out there a little bit okay it's just a little bit out there 
I'm gonna go with Steven Adams. Okay. Because oh, wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss a lot of shots. So I need someone who can offensive rebounds. Okay. And I'm not great at creating space, especially if an NBA player Kawhi Leonard's got me. I need someone who can set very solid screens. So that's that's my answer, a little bit different. Uh, Missy B wants to know what's going on with Lonzo Ball. In cases like this, do players still get paid their full salary? Scott, from a front office perspective, when you've got injured guys on your roster, how does things work out with that? Do they still get their full contract or are there some players have clauses in it? Is that a common thing in the NBA? I believe he's still getting put paid his full salary. Um, I'm sure that every day he's in the facility trying to do something to rehab his, himself. Uh, and that's a tough, lonely journey for a player too, mm -hmm. um, trying to get back on that court. You know, I, I think that's not talked about enough. Lonzo Ball, I'm sure, would rather be playing basketball right now than being the subject of a, you know, conversation of being injured all the time. So uh, for the most part, you know, unless there was a, a, a pre-existing clause, which I don't believe so, uh, in this case, uh, he, he will continue to get paid and continue to work his very best to get back on the on the court. Tammy Tate wants to know, do you think OKC will make moves this summer? And who do you think would be a good fit to play alongside Shea and Chet? BJ, you said for a long time that you want to see a big man to play alongside Chet. And uh, now our friend Bismack Biombo is over yeah. there in <laughs> OKC. <laughs> what we a talked that into existence. We what talked that into existence, didn't we? I've got no yeah. idea how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they, they've already got their big man. So now moving they forward. win, I just want you guys to remind everyone that, you know, where this started, you know, just remind yeah. everyone. Oh man, I'm 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 still waiting for when BJ starts telling me where the, his players are signing instead of Waldron Shams having all the excitement. But that's another conversation. Um, where who do you think that they should add this summer though, if they now have their big in Bismack? What else do you think they need to add to that lineup? Well, you know there are two things that are essential. There are a lot of things that we could talk about, uh, but there are two things that are essential to every great team. There's talent, which clearly they have. But there's also toughness. And that just doesn't mean physical toughness. You have to have the mental toughness, um, you know, and you had to have the toughness as a group to go out there and compete. So when you look at Chet Holmgren, you know, Chet is a very skilled player. However, there's a certain level of physicality that you're going to have to play with, especially when you enter into the playoffs. So what I would like to see OKC do um, as they move forward is to begin to add the toughness that's going to be necessary as they begin to advance from round to round, because it's, it's going to be needed, right? You're going to, there's going to be a certain level of physicality that's going to be played on the perimeter. I think Shea being a bigger guard would be able to meet that challenge because of his size. However, when you look at their roster, especially with their front court, they're going to need a certain level to be able to play against the bigger, stronger, uh, more physically gifted athletes that they're going to see as they begin to advance. So that would be one thing that I would try to address. Any if, names that spring to mind? Well, you got to look at the roster. I mean, you just have to look to see who's available. I mean, you know, you know, there, there are a lot of players that will meet this, but however, meeting that specific need for how they play, right. They, they play a fast game. You're with Shea being the, you know, he's the, he's the straw that stirs that drink up there. So you're going to need a player who, to me is going to be a unique type of player because he's going to 
be have to be a physical player in the interior, but also he's going to have to be able to shoot. When mm-hmm. I say shoot, if he's going to play extended minutes with Shea and the other players because of the, the way that they play. So it's going to be fascinating to watch how this works. Um, you know, they're bringing in a player like Bismack Biombo. I think this will be the first player that they brought in that probably doesn't meet that criteria of being able to shoot on the perimeter. However, the fact that they recognize they're going to need that level of physicality just says something to me that they're looking to advance, not, not just to get into the playoffs, but they're looking to advance and go and, and try to make a deep run in the playoffs. Yeah, aside and, from and, Josh Giddy, who can't shoot, but that's yeah, a whole nother conversation. And, you know, and, and, you know, BJ's talked all about it. it their playoff run this year will quit crystallize for them exactly who they need to go after. Yes. They're going, you know, in the various series. So do you um, think Scott though, from a front office perspective that they will make moves this summer, or do you think that they'll stand pat and keep going with what they've got? Cause it looks like I, the moves they're trying to make at the trade deadline were just kind of around the margins. I, I, I The playoffs are the proving ground. So dependent upon how their performance goes, I think will dictate how aggressively they move this off season to add to that team. They may feel after, you know, depending upon what round they get knocked out and how they get knocked out, where they overwhelmed physically, uh, like we talked about, this could be a possibility, uh, or is it just something that needing more experience playing together, more game experience, uh, and coming back, together as a unit and not making any changes, they'll make that assessment as they go through the playoffs this year. So I, I wouldn't want to say right now going into it, uh, so much will be revealed when uh, when this team plays uh, in this postseason. The UK Boston Celtics fan club want to know if you guys agree and think that Jason Tatum has the worst whistle out of any star in the league. Against Miami, he had 20 field goal attempts and only two free throws. And one was from uh, from an intentional foul. Um, which superstar has the worst whistle in the NBA in terms of getting calls from the refs? Because you know you know who's got the best whistle. <laughs> Who has the best whistle, Mo? The, the man <laughs> over there who has a, a mansion built at the the free throw line where he resides, Mister Joel Embiid. <laughs> oh, Joel Embiid. Okay. Who has the worst whistle? That was a tough one for me. I don't know that I can just uh, single out any player. Um, I'd have to look at the the sheer numbers on that in terms of free throw attempts. It, it appears when I've watched Anthony Edwards play this year because he's a young emerging star. Does he get all the calls he probably should get? Probably not. So I guess he, he would be my first one I would think about. Uh, and And BJ can t- can speak to this, but just historically watching the NBA, as a player ascends up the ladder, I think he gets more and more benefit of the doubt from officials and starts to get more and more calls when he attacks the rim aggressively and uh, in those close situations. So that's why I tend to go with a, a younger emerging player like uh, uh, an Anthony Edwards right now. Yeah, that's very, very true. However, for me, I think Tatum does have a horrendous whistle from the referees. Um, I also think Nikola Jokic gets a horrendous whistle from the referees. Uh, BJ, who do you think has the worst whistle in the NBA right now in terms of not getting the calls that they deserve or calls that other players would get? Well, I I tend to look at the game from a holistic viewpoint, and you talk about Jason Tatum. Well, 
I firmly have, you know, I don't, I don't want to say believe this, but I, I certainly come to understand that the people in those, in the, in those referee uniforms, they're human as well. And they read the newspapers and now the internet, just like we do. And when I hear your, the coaches say they want to get up an excessive amount of threes, your reputation precedes you. It takes away from your ability to attack the basket and be that player that's going to initiate contact and take advantage of that style of play. I, I, I've come to understand that when you are a star player, you have to command how the game is going to be officiated. If, are you going to attack the basket and demand that the referee makes a call, whether it's an offensive charge or a foul on, on me attacking the rim? When your coach comes out and starts advocating, we have to shoot more threes. But what do you, you can't have it both ways. Okay. Right. You, 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 you can't be like, I want to shoot threes and I want to get a good whistle. Well, so when, when, when they're you, shooting the threes, how they manufacture the threes is players driving to the hoop and then kicking out to three point shooters. And then players, when they get fouled on their drives and not getting the call would be the issue here more than just the black and white of shooting more threes. So if you are, if you are refereeing a game and you're suddenly refereeing a game like we're currently seeing where it's a five out offense, I think you and I discussed that this week, earlier this week. Okay. When you play a game and the game is a physical game, meaning Mo, you're going to touch bodies every time you're out there on the floor. When Mo cuts to the basket, Scott's job is to just touch Mo to make sure that as we say, on a championship team, they got to feel me tonight. That's the way the game is played. Now, if you want to play drive and kick, hey, man, that's a that's a nice way to play. Hey, every, you drive, Mo, and then you kick it out. Are you driving the basket on a one-on-one -on -one situation? Well, if you're playing against a good team, Mo, everyone's going to fill in those gaps. So the drive and kick that you're talking about, yeah, that may work against bad teams, but that's not going to work against a championship caliber team or a team that you're going to see in the playoffs. So there's a certain level of physicality that's brought to this game. And when the referees see that the game is going to be played with a certain level of, of physicality where Scott is saying, okay, when BJ goes off the screen, he's going to get this forearm and I'm going to push him around. Oh, that's the way the game is going to be played. That's why I love players who just adapt and adjust to the whistle. And the players will do that accordingly to how the game will be officiated. But you got to bring that, you got to bring that energy to the game. So if driving kick is how you want the game to be officiated, and suddenly Scott and I say, no, nah, that ain't that's not how we play. That's not Detroit Piston basketball <laughs> back in the day. That's not how I like how you added back in like, the day. Well, I, well, it's currently <laughs> not played today that way. But however, regardless of how other team played. Good teams impose their will on the game. Every team that has won a championship in the NBA understands about imposing their will on the game, which is going to affect the, how the game is going to be officiated, which is going to affect how the game is going to be coached, which is going to affect how the players are going to play. We all know this. Scott says it all the time. Your proving ground is going to happen in the playoffs. If you want to know about your team, 
Okay, just keep winning in the playoffs because we're going to find out if you can meet that level of play. Because trust me on this, the referee's whistle, he's going to swallow that whistle <laughs> later in the yeah. game. <laughs> that's, that's how they're yeah. – now, if you yeah. can't – now, I'm going to say this. Great players learn know this. You got to learn how to play through the contact if you're going to be a great player. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> now, if you can't understand what I'm saying, then mm -hmm. you probably not. You probably are not a great player. You probably are looking for the whistle. But if you're going to be a great player, you mm -hmm. are going to become an expert at playing through the contact because you understand the difference between, you know, looking for a whistle or making sure whatever needs to get done gets done. So that's my little two minutes on that. I, I hear it. I also think yeah. Draymond Green gets a fantastic whistle because, like you said, he always plays with that physical nature. So the referees yeah, just come to expect that from him. So he gets oh, yeah. away with a lot more than if other they're, players they're, did the same things, yeah. they'd be ejected instantly. So stay in character. Stay in yes, character. Is that right, Scott? Stay yeah, in oh, there's character. There's no question. You know, again, going back a little ways, but when we were in Detroit, you know, we played physical every night. <laughs> and if the referees were going to call every single thing, game well, might, might last four <laughs> hours. So when is that happening? No, 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 they Scott, have, you'd have no players the, by the end of the first quarter because everyone exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you're right. So you, but you would, you, you, they, they adjust to how you're playing, mm. you know, and in the teams that you're playing against, they, they have to adjust. So there, there's a, um, and that's all, all you want as an organization, as a team is a consistent whistle. That's it. Whether you're going, they're gonna, if they're going to call it touchy one night, okay, call it touchy both ways. Or if they're going to let allow extra physicality to go, allow extra physicality to go both ways. You just want consistency of whistle. That's it. Mm. Um, well, speaking of Draymond, let me just ask you guys real quick. What's your take on this Draymond and Yusuf Nurkic feud that we have going on? Because obviously Draymond was suspended and forced to go to therapy after hitting uh, Nurkic in the face. And then they played again the other night and uh, they had some words for each other. And then Draymond Green had like a 10 minute rant on his podcast, roasting Yusuf Nurkic. I am of the opinion that we need some sort of ice hockey rules here because I'm not really trying to see guys go on a podcast and gossip about each other. And da, 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 da. if you two don't like each other, all right, just have it out. Center court, five minutes, do what you got to do. But what's your take on it? I, I don't really, for me, I've never really paid attention to a lot of that kind of stuff. It's a lot of noise. Let's just get back to playing basketball. I'll be honest with you. I mean, <laughs> all of the, the back and forth. Let's play basketball. Let's let your play and what you do and what your team does speak for you. And after the other night, the Golden State Warriors got the better of the Phoenix Suns. They won the game. Oh, that Steph Curry shot was, was unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. And so, okay. Nurkic said what he said after the game. Draymond responded to it. In my opinion, all right, let's leave it there and let's move forward. All of this, the podcast and stuff afterwards, you know, going into... And I, I didn't hear it, so I can't really speak uh, to you it. You don't want to hear it. But yeah, Draymond, exactly, leave the exactly. podcast into us. Leave the podcast <laughs> okay, into us, man. You just exactly. focus on, on getting play, into the yeah. playoffs. Come on, man. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, all right, here's one for you. CB Joycey wants to know, and this is a long question, so bear with me. 
BJ, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this from hearing the second word of this question. If Wembenyama is going to become the generational player we all think he's going to become, how does the Spurs front office proceed in terms of putting other stars with him? If a future Spurs title with Wemby is inevitable, do San Antonio go out to other organizations saying we want player X or do the front office simply sit and wait to be contacted by players or agents wanting to join them in free agency and they pick who they think is a good match? Asking from a front office perspective, as I have no idea how they normally operate around that sort of thing. So, Scott, let's start with you, as this is your area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Let's imagine you're in charge of the Spurs for a second. Are you aggressively on the phone lines trying to make deals for other players, or are you just letting Wemby do what he does and waiting for the free agents to come flock into San Antonio? You always have to be assertive uh, and aggressive. Uh, you know, those who hesitate a lot of times are lost, you know? Mm -hmm. And so- And that's, it, that's for life, it, not just for being a GM. Exactly, exactly. So the importance here is you know what you have in your building play, currently playing with Victor Wimbenyamba. So you know which players are going to be there long-term as, you know, part of the supporting cast to help, not only him, but the organization, you know, get back to a championship level. We've talked about this before. We really think that he needs a point guard in the building. And that's going to be, if, if I'm sitting there now, is really trying to identify who that is. Uh, if that player around the league, or are we even looking into the draft to find that player, given that women Yama is so young. So that would be uh, my position right now, really trying to address that point guard position. And then, uh, and, and secondarily looking to add a little bit like what we talked about with the Oklahoma city thunder, a little more physical presence on that roster, because if you're going to play against Victor women, Yama, especially now as he's, as his body is still developing, you're going to try to be as physical as possible with him and his team to try to take them off their game. So I'd be looking to add uh, personnel that could uh, help uh, become initiators in that area instead of always being the team that's having to respond to it. BJ, what's your take on it? As a as an agent, you know, are, are you in a position where you have a player, hypothetically speaking, of course, that you think would be a good fit with Wemby? Are you calling the Spurs saying, you should look at trying to make a move for my player or, you know, we should look at this player in free agency. Is that from an agent perspective, something that happens? Well, you know, when you, when you look at, at the game, I, you know, we, we put in categories, you're looking from an agent. Well, if I'm looking at it from an agent, I'm just looking at, I'm just looking at the business. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They have money in free agency. Where, yes. Where's the business? Yes. Okay. So that's, that, just, yeah, so that, that's the team he likes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the Spurs only have a minimum, uh, you know, Cleveland Cavaliers have a max. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do what's in the best interest okay. of my client. Okay. Let, me, let me phrase that a bit, a bit better. Okay. I don't know if you, if you can, but can you take us behind the curtain and let's say, for example, Bismack signing in OKC, was that a case of, you in your conversations around the league saying that you think Biz would be a good fit? Was that a case of OKC listening to the podcast and hearing what they need to put alongside chat? Or did they just call you directly and say, would Biz be interested in coming over and playing with us? Well, every situation is a unique situation. You know, 
the Bismack situation was unique because he was already, you know, financially, um, he was already had that taken care of with his last stop being there in Memphis. So he's basically looking for a different situation than what he would currently be doing if he this was the only place that he had played this year. So every situation, every scenario is a different scenario. However, getting back to Wimbenyama, you know, the question was, what would we, the question is, what would we be looking to put with As the front office, yeah. Oh, yeah, as the front office. How aggressive, or would you sit back and wait? Yeah. Yes, okay. Well, if history serves me correctly, all of the bigs who've had incredible runs in this league, they've always had a guard to play with, right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for instance, had Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson. You had Shaq. Shaq played with Penny Hardaway. He played with Kobe Bryant. He played with Dwayne Wade. <laughs> he played with Steve Nash. He played right. with LeBron James. Okay. Okay. Are we catching on to how this, yes. how this works? Okay. Mm-hmm. Tony Parker played with Tim Duncan, Duncan and all of these guys. So if you're going to have a superior frontline player, the first thing is you got to be able to take advantage of that player, okay, and and be able to get him the ball in a timely fashion. So that to me is critical because of his height. I think he's got to be of a certain size. Why? Because as Wimbenyama ages, he's not going to want to catch a bounce pass <laughs> as he starts getting. You know, he starts aging in this league, right? You know, playing with a big guy. I've had an opportunity to play with big guys. Bill Cartwright, for instance, I knew no matter what was going on, I could not throw him a bounce pass. Even if that was the only way I can get him the ball, I would just have to wait until he could see the ball and catch it and play as if I was over the top top of the defense. So can you just explain for the fans why why the older things don't want to bounce pass? Well, because that's where they get hurt. Yeah. Okay. You got to take advantage of your advantage, right? You don't want a big guy playing little. You want a big guy playing big, right? Mm -hmm. So big guys are taught to turn around and play big. I didn't want to double team a big guy. Why? Because if he played big, I'm running right into his elbows, right? Mm -hmm. He'd hurt me. So there's advantages. I wanted, I always tried to force guards to throw bounce pass to, to to the bigs. Why? Because- for two reasons. One, the slowest pass in the game is a bounce pass. That allowed us to have a defensive advantage. And now I could play in the game if a seven-footer was playing low. Just, I always try to play to my advantages. I always try to make the other team play to the disadvantage. So, Wimbenyama, what's his advantage? Well, if you could throw it to him over the top, I don't know how many other people are up there. <laughs> He's up there all by himself. So, <laughs> you want to make sure that you don't have a little guard, in my opinion to be feeding this guy however you need to feed him. That's not to say that there isn't a, a guard who may configure that figure that little equation out. But that would be my first thing. And then the second thing I would do is I want to take advantage of his versatility. I mean, this young man right now, just the other night, he had, what, nine block shots, Mo, or ten block shots or something? Ten, ten blocks. Ten, ten block shots. Yeah. Okay. Now, if he has ten block shots, that means he's an elite shot blocker or rim protector. But that also means, and watching him, that he should be able to switch as well. 
And if you can put a team together where you take away this one aspect of the game, the ability for any team to run screen roll versus his group, I think it's virtually impossible to score in today's game. If you can just take away one aspect of the game. If I if if we had to go into a game today and you couldn't run screen roll, what would you run then? Because no one's running <laughs> offense. So the only well, other it's teams. only two things they run. They run isolation <laughs> and they run screen roll. Well, shout out to the oh, Utah Jazz, though, because the Utah Jazz run some really nice offense with a lot of pin downs and a lot of other stuff going on yeah, for, for getting uh, their class looks. But yes, shout but out to Will for, the, for the most part, when you right. watch the teams in the league, everyone's just running isolation or mm-hmm. you know, screen roll. You know, you you don't have a play, you just screen roll. You don't have a play. You look for a mismatch and you do a little isolation. And hey, hey as you say, Mo, you spot up at the three. You know, everyone's driving kick, you know. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I think Wimpyama has a chance to be one of, not just the great players, one of the greatest defensive players ever. If you can get a team where you can actually take away a significant set that is ran throughout the entire NBA. And that would be my goal with him. Yeah, is because even when they do run, run screen offense, the screen roll is the foundation of yeah, you, everything you can, that they if, do. If you play the Spurs, you, you when you play the Spurs, you should say, I can't run screen roll versus this team because they are they're the same. When I say the same, they are athletic and big at every position. And, and this is him. also, you know, when people talk about small ball, the Warriors had a huge advantage during their prime years because they had Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes, uh, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, all these guys who would come in and play the guard spots or the wing spots, and they could switch, especially when they went to Draymond at the five, they could switch basically everything. So you're right in what you're saying. And and when they added Kevin Durant, you know, he he finished. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you you can switch everything, you're just Mm -hmm. a huge advantage. Um, But just going back to what Scott said, saying that you've got to be aggressive. One thing I read this morning that really made me laugh. Daryl Morey of the Philadelphia 76ers at the trade deadline called the Lakers asking if LeBron James was available. And then he called the Suns asking if Kevin Durant was available. And then he, and then the Suns said no. And he said, well, is Devin Booker available? Uh, today we're recording this. It's, it's Valentine's Day. So, fellas, this is your reminder to go shoot your shot because nothing is impossible. <laughs> go shoot your shot. But being Ice Spice's DM is a nice. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. anyway, anyway. Chris yeah, yeah, wants yeah. to know mm-hmm. um, if a team could tell they're going to be in the playoffs. How do they go about scouting for the draft? Do you ignore the players that are expected to go early if you don't have a pick in that range? Um, I think you know, just from, from what I know, you would try and have a, a, a scout on every player because you have the ability to trade up in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scott, personnel-wise, I want to know from a front office how do you manage that? So you have your team of scouts. How do you divide up who they're going to go look at, what they're going to go look at, and and whatnot? Every draft, you got to go out and know the entire pool of candidates. That is your job as a scout, as a scouting department, uh, not only to know their abilities, and we talked about this uh, last week, we got to know who they are as people as well. That We'll prepare for the, the draft the same way. Because to your point, Mo. We may have the ability to move up. We may have the ability to move back. Or we may decide after we've evaluated the entire draft that there's no one there 
really they can help our cause and we trade out of the draft. But you can't make any of those decisions without having complete and full comprehensive knowledge of who is in the upcoming draft. It's hugely important. So none of that changed for me. Now, in terms of me as a general manager going out to see players, if I was on a team um, that is going to have one of the best five records in the league, and I've assessed that, well, we probably can't get into the top five. I still want to see the top five or 10 players anyway, but I would make sure that I got a chance to see guys 15 to 30, maybe more, you know, more than once because the likelihood of one of those guys being in our wheelhouse and the likelihood of us pretty much staying in that draft position, I wanted to be well-versed on those, on those players. Absolutely. Um, the final question we have for today comes from AG. He says, do you believe in the NYC factor and how much of an advantage does that give to the Nets and the Knicks when recruiting players? Now, from the outside looking in, I think it's a disadvantage because not a lot of players want to step up to that pressure of the, of the New York media. As we've seen over, over recent years, there's only been a couple that have willingly gone and said, I'm ready for the, the, uh, the heat in the kitchen, so to speak. But BJ, let's start with you. Do you think that the, the New York teams have an advantage in recruiting players? Or do you think the players are a little bit scared of the pressures that come along with that? Well, it's, it's, it's a very complicated question, Mo. And I will say this. And I'm not speaking for all, but I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of this. You know, everyone talks about markability. New York has that check. Everyone talks about growing their brand, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly New York has that check. We all talk about playing in front of a sellout crowd and the greatest fans in the world. In my opinion, you know, I don't know who the greatest is, but if you don't have New York in your top, then you're probably not an NBA fan. Mm -hmm. Check. Do you talk about enthusiasm, city, culture, everything that you're looking for, you're going to find it in New York City. However, with that comes responsibility, and now we're, now we're getting somewhere. The New York fan base is going to do two things. They're going to hold you accountable, and you're going to be responsible, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. If you play bad in New York, you're going to hear the booze. If you win in New York City, they're going to cheer like no one. I remember that year, Scott, I think the first time you guys had been in the playoffs in, what I don't know, 10 years or so. But mm -hmm. That was the greatest spectacle on television to watch that. I mean, it was incredible. And it was for a first-round series. First-round matchup with the Hawks, no yeah. Question. With the Hawks. It was, it, it, it was hands down the greatest. And they from the they started the day before. I mean, they're 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 everywhere. New York, there's no there's no. I mean, I may be biased. There, you can't tell me there's a better fan base, as far as just rooting for their team. You, you know, you you. I mean, they have it all. They got the they got the stars. They got the fans. They got Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, Manhattan. 
and, and you know what's a real good, I'm gonna let you finish your point. You know what's an underrated thing about the fan base? It's how it travels because and you, oh, and you have so many New York people that live across the country. Country, country. It was amazing going on road games, and sometimes you feel like you were playing at home. <laughs> it, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. No, so all right. So everyone says they want all of the they want all of mm. these things, but it's those two things. Do you want that responsibility that comes with that? Because those people, they not coming there. They're not letting you slide talking about good try. They're not letting you slide with losing game one. <laughs> they gonna let you know. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And everybody yeah. is not built for New York City. Yeah. That's just a that's a fact. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I share that with my clients. Everyone talks to all this branding and all that stuff. New York City, it takes a very unique personality to yeah. deal with that, okay? Yeah. And we can have a whole podcast, and I would love to hear Scott. I know we're, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. here today, but yeah. so the answer to that, you, you got to have a unique person that understands what they're getting into because it's not like the other 29 teams in the NBA. I'm just going to add one other point to it, what BJ's talking about with, with New York. Because he's, you know, spot on on so many things he said in terms of the advantages, you know, from a marketing standpoint to the enthusiasm of the fan base. You know, it's a multicultural place. I mean, look, it's uh, it's it's the media capital of the world. So there's so much attention and all that goes to it. But no matter how much we know that, you know, a player may know that and recognize it. They won't know what it's really like until they put, put that uniform on and run out that tunnel. I, if we could tell them all of these things, and the guy would think, okay, I'm that's what I want. I'm prepared for it. But until they run out that tunnel and keep doing it time and time again and see the the, the different reactions, it is really hard to say. And uh, 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 and a. Final point in terms of, you know, you're talking about advantage. What has changed a little bit now from the time to say when BJ was playing, you know, is social media. And this whole podcast was, well, how this has really shrunk the world, if you will. And we've seen players that have become, you know, major stars outside of this, out of the New York market as well, too. So I, I think some players may look at that and may not want to take on all of the additional pressures that BJ and I are talking about right now and do it in another market and still become a star player. So uh, fascinating discussion, fascinating question, and there is no... And we have an expert, who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We just have to become better at what we do to bring it out of it, because trust me, Scott knows. Yeah, and you know, he it's, is it's, an expert. He's lifted. He's been yes. inside it. And, and let me tell you something. As a, as a, here's what here's New York in a here's New York, and I'm gonna sum it up. I was young in my career, and I don't think they do it. They may still do it. They would do like poster night. You know, the first ten thousand fans that come in in the building, they would get a Patrick Ewing mm-hmm. poster. You know, seven foot poster. It was great. Right. And I'll never forget. Now, we, yeah, they got bobbleheads. They got all the things. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. 
it was on poster night in New York and we're playing and we beat the Knicks. And the fan base threw the posters on the floor <laughs> during the game. And I thought, <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I felt bad and I wasn't even a New York Knicks player. I was like, that's just cold. But you know what? Yeah. Pat mm -hmm. Ewing, the next game came off and had 40 and they started cheering. But that's the New York fan base. I respect in a it. Nutshell. And I, yeah. I respect it too. And yeah. it takes a certain personality to be able to deal with that. And, and to BJ's point, I'm sure when they went in there and played as visitors and you know, all the organizations I was with prior to working with the Knicks, when your players go into the garden, they are locked in. Oh, yeah. People are yeah, talking yeah, about, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't care if they went out mm -hmm. the night before, whatever the case may be, it is a stage for those visiting players, and you're going to get their best shot. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yes. And that takes some getting used to as well. Yeah, that's right. Even that's if right. when you're not a good, that's the crazy, even when you're not a good team, that's New York. It's still New York. You're still going to get the best shot from that opposing team coming in there. So you got to be locked in every single home game. <laughs> Mo, yeah. this is a podcast. I'm, I'm just exactly. throwing it out there. We got, we got to bring this out of Scott. Hey, we gotta get out of, we, yeah, because, we, yeah, we don't have enough time. I know we have a hard stop today, but yeah, we we will. We can revisit this we, when we free agency opens this summer. We gonna revisit this. Don't worry, this? BJ. Exactly. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> but appreciate everyone who's sending their questions. If you want to have your question answered on the show, feel free to join our Discord server. It's linked in the description below this podcast so you can get in there talk to some other basketball fans and also we will answer the questions that you ask scott bj appreciate your time i know you guys got to run and um have a great weekend enjoy the all-star festivities bj i'll see you very soon scott enjoy relaxing and uh, until next time <laughs> get buckets